Hello and welcome to the seventh of our series of Built Environment Innovation Podcasts. My name is Stephen Good. I am Chief Exec at the Construction Scotland Innovation Centre. Uh, we're Scotland's National Innovation Centre for Construction and the Built Environment. And we're developing this podcast series as a way of introducing those that don't yet know about CSIC to the work that we're doing here in Scotland, but also to try and tackle some of the really big issues facing the sector and engage with the leading change makers who are driving innovation and transforming the built environment landscape here in Scotland. So far, we've explored innovation, obviously. Um, we've explored future workforce and apprenticeships, diversity and inclusion, leadership, and we got technical recently around digital manufacturing and mass timber solutions when we uh, interviewed a team from Harry Watt University who are building the Solar Decathlon House for the Dubai Expo. And also, uh, the last podcast you maybe caught was around the retrofit challenge and the opportunity that decarbonising our existing built environment will present. Across these and many more themes, we hope as we develop this podcast series, there's something here that you'll feel passionate about and inspired to take action around. And if you do, we'd love to hear from you uh, and help support that work going forward. Um, so don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple or other podcast platforms, or you can find all of our podcasts on our website at cs-ic.org. This month, we're focusing again on skills across the built environment. And with COP26 only a few weeks away uh, in Glasgow, today's podcast will explore the skills our workforce needs to meet the ambitious targets of reaching net zero emissions in Scotland by 2045. So today, I'm delighted to welcome uh, two experts in this field to, uh, to have a conversation around um, where we're at and what we need to do moving forward. First, um, Delighted to welcome Elaine Ellis, Skills Planning Manager for Construction at Skills Development Scotland. Elaine's role at SDS is to work with the construction sector and related subsectors and to collaborate with industry, Scottish Government and other public agencies to implement skills investment and action plans for the sector and drive forward the ambitions of the Climate Emergency Skills Action Plan. Um, welcome Elaine. And also with us today is Jennifer Finn. Um, Jennifer is Managing Director at AC White, main contracting organisation um, who specialise in the refurbishment of low and high-rise occupied social housing across Scotland um, and installing external wall insulation as part of that and with a focus on maximising energy efficiency that aims to reduce fuel bills for uh, residents and, and tenants. Um, Jennifer, Elaine, both of you welcome and thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Hi, thanks Good for having morning. us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Delighted to have you here today. So um, again, just very brief housekeeping for those that are listening today. Um, we're still, uh, Jennifer, I think you're in the office, aren't you? Um, yes. I'm supposed to be in the office today, but um, for, for reasons of uh, of uh, challenges with childcare and, and dog sitting, I'm working from home today. Elaine, you look like you're in the house as well, perhaps. I'm still Unless in the house, Unless you've got some yep. really cool pictures behind you in the office, but you're <laughs> still in the house. Um, so we're in a bit of a hybrid. We sort of feel like we're heading back towards some kind of normal, whether it's old normal or new normal, time will tell. But um, but we're not doing this live, so we're doing it again in a bit of a an online uh, a, a kind of um, process today, but we'll we'll try and keep it informal, try and keep it um, try and keep it um, fairly uh, light hearted uh, where we can as well. Appreciate we're we're tackling some tough tough subjects, but um, but yeah, maybe just to start the the discussion then, um, Elaine, if I can come to you first. So the Climate Emergency Skills Action Plan, um, you guys have been involved in authoring this and pulling together a whole bunch of different moving parts yep. um, to help us organise how. Um, as a whole range of different sectors um, we move forward. You're obviously coming at this from the built environment, construction uh, space. Um, could you 
give us a little bit about just what's been involved to get us to where we are just now and a little bit about the, um, the Skills Action Plan. Absolutely. So the creation of a Climate Emergency Skills Action Plan was in Programme for Government in 2019. So when it was first sort of raised as a concept, it was in the old world pr prior to COVID and it, it was originally aimed to be published just in time for the original COP26. Um, it, with it, the sort of moving COP26, the the parameters around it changed, but in the end, it was published in December 2020, um, along with it's and to be published at the same time as the Scottish Government Climate Change Plan. Uh, for a while, SDS did offer it. We certainly did work with in collaboration, um, both across the sort of public sector, working with other agencies, um, working with the funding council, working with other government agencies such as Nature Scott um, to put together an expert group. But we also worked very, very closely with industry. And certainly within construction, um, we worked with, your, uh, with the Innovation Centre, with CITB and directly with sort of employers and others to get feedback for the plan. So it was, so although it's, you know, published by SDS and on our website, we certainly don't see it as our plan. It is very much about collaboration and it is about working and engaging with uh, partners. It is a very high level plan and it is focused on some of the steps that we need to start to take to move towards the green economy and, and to develop and embed green skills because it's recognised that this is a, a major shift that will be happening over the future years and, and certainly that given the target by 2030 we need to reduce our emissions by 75%. So we do recognise that it's, you know there's a lot of opportunity, there's going to be a lot of change happen relatively quickly but to a certain extent this is going to be a priority moving forward. It's not just a priority this year, it's going to be a priority for years to come. Absolutely and I think it, certainly from our perspective, we have noticed, um, you know, often the, the the challenges of being part of that support infrastructure in Scotland that supports businesses that want to do things differently. Often the, the array of things that businesses could go and do are, are quite broad and, and actually remain obviously quite yep. broad. But it's been really interesting over the last couple of years just watching all the agencies, government, um, various different objectives kind of coalescing around this drive towards net zero and, 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 and that direction of travel. It seems to have brought, uh, albeit it's still a very complex space with a lot of moving parts, it seems to have brought the kind of high level ambition together. Jennifer, I wonder if I could maybe ask you, in, in that context, is that something you're recognising from an industry point of view? Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, I think coming back after COVID, I feel as though that the world is is moving at, at light speed now. Um, I don't know whether it's the feeling of that lost time or, or just that all these deadlines are, are feeling closer than ever. Obviously, there's been a lot of focus on, you know, climate change and then the resultant action that's needed on the back of that. We've got COP coming and the focus on where we need to be for that. So I think there's no better time for this kind of thing to happen. I think for the launch of these types of reports or action plans, which, and, and I have to say, I love even the fact that it's got action plan written in it, because I think we're very good at producing really good reports in Scotland. And, you know, the important thing for us as industry is how we turn all of that into something tangible. You know, like Elaine said, you know, obviously has to start at that high level. We need to know where we're going and what that vision looks like, but then very quickly turning it into, well, these are the steps that we need to, to get us there. Yeah. Absolutely no, I couldn't agree more. I think that um, there's obviously always that need for the kind of framework to be in place, but then it's about turning that over into, okay, what's the impact we want to deliver? What's the activity we need to get on with that's going to create those kind of outcomes, um, which is really important. Elaine, on the um, 
on the specifics for the construction sector side, what, what do you think it means for the sector and what impact, uh, Jennifer's talking about impact being key, what impact do you think it's likely to have on the construction industry? I think the construct, uh, construction sector is one of only sort of five sectors that was highlighted within the plan. So we have sort of recognised within the plan that while we see green skills eventually affecting every sector and it will you know, change all of our jobs across time, there's, there's going to be adaptions to be made. There's definitely some sectors where in the here and now and that will be sort of critical in driving change. So construction is one of those five. So it is along with, you know, the transport, not surprisingly, um, energy transition, the sort of land-based sector and engineering. But, but construction is, is absolutely there as one. And one of the reasons is that we recognise its role in particular around energy efficiency and particularly the drive to change how we heat our homes and all the, the heat strategy, the you know heat pump deal that's coming down the line. So construction plays such a major role in that. The plan itself, um, I think with construction being at the heart of it, means as we're looking at how we're driving it forward and looking at the challenges, which are which actually cut across all sectors, it means that the construction lens is going to be there and it puts construction front, uh, front and central. Um, I think that's recognised in the background. So, um, you know, within the construction sector, the, the Scottish government are currently working with the industry cr to create a construction accord uh, to very much get that high-level industry engagement. From a skills perspective, what it means is it means the sector is front and central. So certainly when any of the initiatives, as, as we're starting to move forward in terms of design and when we're looking, you know, one of the outputs is about making the changes needed in the skills system, the sector will be there and we will be engaging with the sector throughout that process. So so for me, the, the plan and the plan in itself, you know, it's great to have a construction sector there and to recognise it. The important bit about any plan, and I absolutely agree with Jennifer, it's always about, it's about action, it's about implementation. So we have changed our structure and we've, we've got a new head of climate emergency brought in to drive forward implementation of that plan. We've got a high level steering group there. We've got representation of the construction industry there. Um, Douglas is there from the innovation centre sort of sitting to, to help represent construction as part of that plan. We've got the links back uh, via the industry with the skills groups and we've got direct engagement. And what that means is that construction voice is absolutely there. Uh, and we're sort of in terms of what the sort of, as we work to address the challenges, what it means is that the sector is there in front and centre as we're designing and, and as we're creating the sort of the system that we need to drive forward change. And I think for the, it puts the sector in a great position because I think it's great to be there. We're not at the start of this journey. I know climate emergency has been there for, for a few years, but what it does feel like is it feels like we're at the start of some real momentum with it. And you can see things pivoting and moving in that direction. And it means we're doing that very much with the construction industry right at the Forefront. Yeah, I think that again, that's a, a big observation. I suppose you you never find anybody in the innovation centre that can't put forward a good argument as to why construction in the built environment should be at the heart of all kind of recovery and transformation for society and the sector because we underpin so many other parts of so many other sectors. Um, and it's great to see construction being identified as one of the core um, core kind of uh, sectors within this uh, action plan. Um, Jennifer, you, you guys have been working in this space uh, for a for a long time in terms of uh, in terms of helping um, to improve the quality of the built environment. Um, working with housing associations, working with local authorities around that kind of directs of travel now to reach zero um, zero carbon by twenty forty five. Can you tell us a bit about 
what you've been doing, but more particularly around what you're changing as an organisation. So how are you adapting to set yourself up to deliver what's coming in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, we've been working for local authorities and housing associations to improve their housing stock for over 50 years now. Um, and we've actually been installing external wall insulation for over 30 years, which comes as a big surprise to a lot of people because I think they would, you know, normally associate that kind of energy efficiency measure with probably the last seven or eight years where there was, you know, an influx of kind of funding within this space, either through energy companies, through their obligations or through the Scottish government, either through the likes of the HEAP-SAB schemes. But actually, a lot of these measures you know, we're, we're not at a standing point, basically, you know, that a lot of this work has been going on for a number of years now. So there is a huge amount of experience in terms of delivering these types of projects, you know, at scale in housing. And um, so we've got a lot of, re you know, a really good foundation there to kind of build from. Um, I think where there really needs to be the kind of mindset shift, a lot of the a lot of the projects that we would have been involved with previously were typically kind of single measure or part of maybe a, a larger major refurbishment project, but the energy efficiency element was typically a single measure. Whereas, you know, we're at a position now, you know, we, we have these, these targets very much in our, in, you know, in line, you know, they're fast approaching. And we now have to change that mindset to look at the lifetime of the property, to look at whole house approaches, multi-measures, kind of deep retrofit. You know, what is it that we need to do to that property to ensure it's kind of future-proofed and will stand the test of time um, and not the kind of ad hoc jumping backwards and forwards with properties, doing measures as kind of budget allows. So, and, and that requires a change in mindset with all stakeholders involved in that, whether it's the, you know, the purchaser, you know, Scottish government in terms of the support with the funding, ensuring that we are all thinking with that kind of long-term approach and allow industry to better kind of scale up to, to be able to deliver on that. Obviously, we need kind of long-term continuity to have enough security to invest in areas like training and development, but also has to be incentivized. You know, there have to be drivers for that as well. And I think one of the areas that probably hasn't been looked at enough was how we use procurement to drive that type of activity. So genuinely incentivizing, valuing, you know, reskilling new jobs, training in a way that's, that's again, tangible, that's measurable within procurement exercises and will encourage those right behaviours rather than, unfortunately, what feels at times like a kind of tick box exercise, yet we've done X, Y and Z, but, but what, what were the outcomes that that delivered? Um, so I think it, you know, it requires us all to really be having these conversations and just thinking differently about how we are designing, procuring and delivering on these types of projects. Yeah. And I appreciate, I mean, that is one of the, the wider observations is that for us to do this properly, you know, as a, as a country, we're going to have to uh, address, we're going to have to transform, frankly, almost every aspect of how we go about, about doing things. Um, and so two kind of related questions, uh, Jennifer, to that aspect. So I assume from, from what you have been seeing probably more recently then, is that much more joined up approach, that much more holistic approach to a, a deep retrofit strategy for a client's um, assets as opposed to the piecemeal approach? Is, is that genuinely what you're, you're seeing and do you think it's moving fast enough? I think, I think there are lots of really good examples of activity out there. Um, so, you know, there are local authorities that are really doing things that are, you know, even within the action plan, you know, 
we talk about transformational change and I think there are approaches which at scale will be transformational. I think at the moment it's just, it's all quite small scale. You know, it's almost like, and, and of course you have to start somewhere and it generally does start with pilots or with kind of test cases, but it's, it's when, you know, you, you know, we can actually be bold enough to, to do something that will be transformational. Um, and not feel quite limited in its delivery. I mean, you know, our, our business is an example. You know, as I say, we've been doing this for, for a number of years now and have experience of trying to make the likes of apprenticeship schemes work for a number of years. Unfortunately, we weren't getting the success with that that we had hoped to do. So we engaged with the likes of the Energy Skills Partnership and our local college network to develop a skills academy that was going to deliver what our business needed, um, which again has been great. We've, we've had some really tangible outcomes. And I think probably one of the key aspects of that for us was about designing the training with that positive destination in mind you know it was it was designed around what would be required from us as the employer within that job role and um, rather than just looking at the training in isolation so it was how you know how do we train people to fulfill you know be the best they can be within this role in a way that's fit for industry and we've had some huge success again with that but it's because it doesn't fit with that typical model of training, that apprenticeship model that, that we, we tend to kind of refer back to. Um, sometimes we've kind of struggled to get traction with it. Um, and again, that kind of change in mindset thing, you know, and again, you know, within the action plan, it talks about, you know, there isn't a kind of one size that fits all, you know, so we have to, we have to encourage that type of innovation. Um, and I think the likes of the construction um, innovation center, you know, you're really good at that. So, you know, but actually, encouraging innovation not just in technologies but actually in different approaches different methods process. to these types of things yeah process yeah innovation um and all be kind of open enough to kind of support these things and yep. and allow them to be scaled yeah absolutely no that's so really i would say yeah so lots yeah. of really good stuff but i think you know now's the time we need to we need to wrap it up and, and i guess just from what you've described there around your own businesses approach to it you know we don't want to end up in a model where every business has to go away and develop their own skills yep. training academy. Um, yep. So there is an Absolutely. opportunity to try and bring, you know, multiple solutions that companies need together into an approach yep. where the businesses themselves understand that probably, you know, yep. 60, 70 percent perhaps of what they do might not be that different from what their, their competitors might do. So there is a, a way we can train in a, a different way. Elaine, to that point around the kind of skills gap, perhaps, in, in this aspect, yeah, what, what's been done then through the Climate Emergency Skills Action Plan to try and address that? I think, I think there's two sides. So one side is around apprenticeships. Um, I again, they're not the only route in, and I, I think that they're a very important rule, but it's definitely not one size fits all. But in terms of apprenticeships, we are looking at changing how we're designing and, put, um, and creating apprenticeships. So we're moving towards a process that is sort of starting in earnest this year, and we'll be uh, every apprenticeship will be going through the uh, process called technical expert groups over the next couple of years. And it is, you know, exactly as that name suggests, about getting those technical experts in the room, working with what is very much an industry-led, employer-led approach, but also, and absolutely critically in that, having a process that engaged directly with, and in this case, it's ex-apprenticeships, apprentices, but those that are recently out of the apprenticeship to get their feedback in the process. And it built within that process, there's an element of about future-proofing apprenticeships. So looking and making sure that they're ready and, and fit for purpose. So that will start to sort of influence and change and, and speed up the pro process of apprenticeship development, but also really make sure that we get the industry voice in there and get them ready for the, ready for the here and now and for the future. 
your point at the start there about, you know, the need for all stakeholders to be aligned on that and for us to share what we're doing. Absolutely. I don't believe we're going to get to where we need to get to if we don't collaborate on this. So, you know, collaboration has to be at the heart of everything we do. And I think even when we're we're talking about industry engagement, it's industry engagement at the design and planning stage rather than just the implementation stage and ensuring that we're we're gathering all the really good or bad experiences that people have had, all the learning so that that can all can all feed into it. And even across sectors as well, you know, we talk about, you know, the, the net zero, it, it, it's going to touch everybody. It's going to touch every job and every life going forward. So there's a lot that we can learn across different sectors, across different organisations. You know, even at a business level, you know, we'll all need our own kind of net zero, you know, a strategy um, that we'll have to implement. So the more we can encourage that type of collaboration and learning from the practices that are going on, the better. I, I I was just going to come and say a hundred percent, and I think a lot of the the background around the, the sort of climate emergency skills action plan is it is cross sector. So for for all the other sectors that are highlighted, the, the steering group is cross sector, and the challenges that are sort of listed within the plan they very much tie in with the sort of challenges that that Jennifer is mentioning. There, there's a lot of work to be done in terms of you know, and when I say evidence based, it's not it's about really understanding what we need to do but it's a very important bit of when we need to do it and it is when that pipeline of work you know when will the real when will this opportunity when will the policy become a pipeline of work that you know dri- drives businesses and and you know create creates sort of real change in the ground that there's big issues around skills transferability and how you move people from you know one sector into another sector at the absolute heart of this we want to make sure we've got a just transition it is about creating good with jobs with good opportunities that's absolutely important but skills transferability from sector to sector it is one area that has been highlighted and I think there's got to be an opportunity to look for good practices there I don't know I know I work close with the construction industry I don't know if I would rate that as a strength of the industry I've you know, been very open here so I think there might be some good opportunity to there to look at how better to do that and how better to embed people in from other sectors uh, and it is about that sharing of good practice and looking at best ways to do that and um, certainly when we're moving forward with implementation we're, uh, we're building our implementation plan I think we're moving to what the next stage will be in terms of subgroups and, and I think for me working with the various skills groups it is very much about looking at how we can break down I absolutely agree with Jennifer it's how you can start break down in collaboration how we can start sharing best practice in terms of technical outputs as well I think you've got to have a um, you've got to have an approach that actually delivers in terms of net zero, in terms of technical best practice. And I'm very wary of approaches where we jump too quickly and just do solutions without really stopping to do that. And I'm not seeing a big pause, but just a small pause to make sure that what we're doing actually delivers against net zero and does what it says what it says in the tin in terms of reducing carbon in buildings and making them more energy efficient. And I think it's absolutely vital that we build that into, pro- uh, into any thing we're doing but I think a big part of it is about absolutely breaking down divisions and getting to a stage where we're all pulling in the same direction because the one thing I'm absolutely certain of is there's plenty of opportunity for everyone but if we don't all pull together we, we really do risk doing um, not not getting to where we need to go. Yeah no I couldn't agree more I think I think it's you know I remember uh, Andrew Wilson home used to be chair of the Construction Leadership Council uh, the UKCLC um, after the 2007-2008 financial crash Wrote a wrote a recovery paper effectively uh, entitled "If Memory Serves Me Right, Never Waste a Good Crisis," um, 
and I, and I suppose it's that opportunity that that's spotted within these areas um, in the context of you know not not one but number of crises that we're sort of facing I suppose uh, and uh, at the moment is how do we actually organise ourselves to really create those opportunities and and you touched on that kind of um, pipeline Elaine of or Jennifer sorry maybe around having that foresight of what is coming down the line and all. Um, and a wee plug for the Construction Leadership Forum's uh, recovery plan that's been developed, which covers across you know five or six key areas, but has an action plan in terms of recovery actions that have been identified. But one of those that's just been published, that actually sits on Scottish Future Trust's website, is the uh, Construction Infrastructure Pipeline tool. And um, so even industry now having that ability to spot further ahead what's coming, uh, what it looks like, what the scale of it is, where it is location-wise, I think is a is a really useful thing. Um, and Jennifer, be keen to get your thoughts whether as an industry practitioner you, you feel this too, but it strikes me the more foresight you have around what the pipeline of work coming towards you looks like, the more confidence you'll have potentially being able to then invest in the skills, invest in the technology, invest in the innovation, I suppose, that might be necessary to solve these problems. Is that something as an organisation of what, about 160-odd employees that you've got at the moment? You're looking across the upskilling requirements for your organisation. You know, Do you spot that kind of pipeline's key and then that can allow you to uh, invest in the training and the skills development yourself? Is that something that's, that's key in terms of that link-up? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes. The, the, the more information that's available around what that long-term plan looks like absolutely is a positive thing. But I think what we also have to do is interpret that information. You know, there's a lot of big figures that are branded about, you know, 1.6 billion from the Scottish government to, you know, to achieve this kind of, you know, decarbonisation and energy efficiency plan. But, you know, for most businesses, that doesn't really mean a huge amount. So it's, you know, how do you turn that big figure into something that, you know, a business is, is actually going to understand. So how is that, you know, whether it be funding or, or whether it be investment, how how are these jobs coming through? You know, how, how accessible are they? What are the barriers? You know, what's, you know, is there any bureaucracy tied in it? So I think it's it's taking it that step further and say, well, yeah, yeah, that, that long-term site is great. But how do we turn it into almost the smaller steps that, that build up to that so the business can understand, all oh, right, okay, that's the opportunity for me. Um, and we kind of talk about it a lot is, you know, how do you turn an opportunity into a job? You know, we, we, it, sometimes it needs interpreted, you know, even even around funding, you know, there's, I know there's a huge amount of funding out there, but how you access that funding and the eligibility criteria and all that, you know, it can be a challenge. And I think we have to, we, you know, we can't just, you know, expect, you know, individual businesses to just understand and be able to interpret all of that. I think there needs to be a wee bit of support. Um, to make it a wee bit more digestible. And as as an organisation, I suppose that's right in the middle of this space. So you, as you say, you've got you know, huge experience as an organisation in terms of supporting clients. Um, you know, retrofit approaches, but possibly not in the most coordinated way due to budget or due to time and spending various things. As that becomes a much more relevant approach so as clients are looking for that kind of coordinated approach to how do you intervene with my assets to turn them into zero carbon assets moving forward what um and this relates maybe to that you know term we're hearing a lot of now around green jobs um you know what what do you see as being the skills that need to be developed within your organization around that and i you know what, what are green jobs to you yeah it's I mean, green, green jobs is an interesting one because, you know, as far as I know, and, and I actually think it mentions it in the action plan, there is no defined 
definition for a green job but in our mind it's any job that contribute contributes to that climate change net zero you know agenda that we're all working to and actually I think the perceptions or the assumptions sometimes around that could be the biggest barriers. So one of the biggest challenges we have at the moment um, is around recruiting plasters, renderers, rough casters. So again, it sits within the one kind of skill set. Um, and I, and I, I believe recently BBC reported that it was the, the top job being advertised across the country at the moment. So there's a massive, you know, we're kind of in this perfect storm at the moment, obviously with Brexit and kind of, you know, still, you know, some of the kind of, uh, unintended consequences of COVID and the restrictions, etc. So, you know, there there are massive, I would say the skills gap in relation to these trades has probably never been greater. So whilst we've lost generations of these kind of trades within the UK, and the same talking about kind of core trades like joinery, you know, plastering, uh, which, which kind of feeds into rough casting, roofing, etc. So we, we had lost these generations in the UK. That was supplemented by a European workforce um, that allowed us to kind of, you know, almost solve that problem in the interim and get by. Um, obviously, with the challenges, as I say, this perfect storm that we've got at the moment, that, you know, just doesn't exist to the same to the same level. You know, but in contrast, we have all of this opportunity here and actually not just opportunity, but we, we have to achieve this and we have to, to scale up. So it's, you know, when we're, we're, we're at a point that we're actually behind even where we were two or three years ago, how do we get to that point? And, you know, a lot of the conversation is around, you know, upskilling or retraining. Once we've got the people within our organization, that is relatively straightforward to do. You know, we, we know where they need to be. We know the future technologies that are coming or whether it's be hard or soft skills that we need to train them up and, you know, have good relationships with the college network. The college are, are doing a lot to support, you know, different, uh, you know, industries on, on these kind of things at the moment. That's not the issue for us. It's actually getting the people, the new entrants in to do these jobs in the first place. It's about scaling up rather than the, the reskilling piece. And I think it's probably, it feels a wee bit like the elephant in the room at the moment. Um, there is some chatter, but I don't really think, you know, even government understands the extent of this skills gap. Because for me, that's the thing that we have to be addressing first. Yes, there has to be a lot of good work that needs to do to see how, how these roles then map out into the future. But we need to, you know, start, uh, you know, and, and there's, again, within the action plan, there's some really good, um, points being made around, you know, even at a kind of schools level, how we um, improve sector attractiveness, how we communicate and change perceptions of young people. But we have to remember that it's, you know, we can't change young people's perception without changing everybody else's perception around these types of roles. You know, we're, and, and again, this is cross sector. We're talking about construction, agriculture, manufacturing, you know, and, and actually move away from the snobbery that exists around vocational training. Um, whilst university can be a great route for a lot of people, it's not the only route. And I think we have to make these types of core trades that will underpin these energy efficiency measures more aspirational. Again, we have to change the narrative. We have to change how we talk about them. And it will require a bit of a kind of cultural shift, if, I've, if I'm honest, um, which is probably a harder thing um, to achieve. Um, and something that again needs to be considered within these types of action plans is how do you, uh, you know, how do you achieve that <laughs> in order to scale up at the level that will be required? Yeah, no, absolutely. Elaine, I know this is a As conversation we've had regularly around the, all the challenges we, and complaints. Go for oh, it. <laughs> You've plenty to say. I'll, I'll, I'll go for it. No, I, again, absolutely agree. I, th I think getting the parity in the conversation around vocational opportunities is absolutely vital moving forward. I, I think. There's 
vocational routes can lead to absolutely amazing careers. And certainly in terms of construction, again, you'll know that it doesn't matter what you go in or what role you enter, the opportunities once you're, once you're in are absolutely immense as well. I, I think some of the narrative is around starting to, and again, we're using the word green jobs, but I agree with Jennifer, there's not, there's not really going to be a green job. I think it's more just how we're starting to change in future and it is about those sectors that are involved in it. And we are starting to try and feed in and, and do upskill upskilling in terms of we're creating a my world of work green page our green pages that highlight green opportunities but I, not surprisingly many construction jobs will be included within that because of their role in helping to sort of support the environment and move us towards low carbon i think in terms of skills gaps i think we need to there's definitely a piece around you know helping to attract the best talent into the sector helping attract a more diverse workforce i think that'll become more and more vital as we move forward in terms of getting the best candidates in but also getting the sort of numbers needed to come into the sector so that will be an important piece of work but i do think there's also a, a big piece on how we actually recruit looking at how we recruit and train more people into sector construction sector already punches above its weight does the highest number of apprenticeships out of any other sector and um, there is Many kids go through apprenticeships every year. I think we've got roughly about 12,000 odd um, people going through construction apprenticeships at the moment. But in reality, we are going to need to get more. And, and the one thing with it being an apprenticeship is we are then relying on employers to take them on and to to employ these, whether that be young people or adults, and train them. And I th think looking at how we can better support employers to do that is, is definitely a goal. And, and certainly we do work and attempt to work with that around CITB and with BSc skills and with others. But I think that's something that we definitely need to put more focus on is how we can encourage more employers to take part in train apprenticeships. Mm. Certainly construction, we don't have a shortage of kids looking for apprenticeship opportunities. Yeah. Um, it's in terms of when we get vacancies in apprenticeship.scot for apprenticeships, we get more applicants for construction than we do for other sectors. I think we're advertising um, about 65 kids for one vacancy is not unusual. So there's a lot of young people looking for these opportunities. But I, again, it is how, there's maybe work to be done in the sector and how we engage and how we advertise these opportunities and how we get applicants. Because I think the sector is still a bit guilty of word of mouth recruitment. And I don't know if that's necessarily good or bad. It's, but it does mean that the, the, that the opportunities aren't as always visible as they could be. But I, I think there is also that at some point it has to be a real conversation around, you know, how do we get people in? How, how do we train them and how, you know, what do, can the sector do to sort of support to make sure that we get people in at the volume that's needed? And there'll be lots of challenges in that, right down from sort of college capacity or capacity of private training providers, right through to employers, to pipeline. And, and I think sometimes it's, it's how we pull that all together and at the volume needed is, is definitely going to be an area of focus over the next couple of years. And I suppose that's where, again, maybe back to things like the, the pipeline tool, being a, a a radar for a better description that businesses can use to spot the opportunities that might give businesses greater confidence that they can make those investment plans around apprenticeships and and um, training and, and you know skills development because they have a greater sense of certainty that there's there's you know a, a future pipeline um, coming so I think a lot of these things always when you find the 
you know, you find the answer to the question of why does industry not do more of this or more of that, or more of the next thing, it always, you know, works its way back. That golden thread often comes all the way back to visibility of pipeline, procurement met methodologies and approaches, um, frameworks, that kind of thing. And, and, you know, if you're in them, it's great. But if you're not, you're always trying to find where the next, you know, project's coming from. So I think what we know is going on in the background and it's useful on this sort of platform to be able to share that with the, with the audiences that, you know, the, the the blockages and the challenges of them are being addressed by other groups and other rooms trying to pull other parts of the, the equation together here. So it's, it is encouraging to see so many things. And to your point earlier, Jennifer, in collaboration, um, that's what I think we've certainly spotted as an innovation centre over the last 18 months, you know, particularly during COVID and lockdown. The industry kind of almost that light bulb went on around we can't do this on our own. We can't get back to work quickly enough if we don't coordinate what we're doing as a sector. We can't create opportunities and tackle some of the other issues that we have if we don't collaborate. And I think our job as an innovation centre, our collective job um, across industry and, and support organisations, academia as well, is to really make sure we don't lose that collaboration, um, that collaboration kind of mindset, I guess, that we've maybe developed more sophisticatedly yeah. over the last 18 months. Um, but yeah, sorry, Jeffrey. Yeah, no, and I, I think, you know, asking the, the difficult question, which often we don't want to do, which is what's not working right now? Like yeah. what hasn't? Because clearly something hasn't been working. If we, you know, if we've got the skills shortages that exist with core trades at the moment, why is that? You know, and it, and it's not, this isn't, it's not about finger pointing it. You know, no, there's no one organization or authority or agency that, that's responsible for that. But there is, there, there's some disconnect there because, you know, when I, you know, as, you know, as a business leader, I'm saying, oh, the, no, but the, you know, we, they're not the, the level of qualified people. And actually would even struggle to get entrance into our skills academy at times. And what they've been offered through the academy is, is that, you know, as long as they pass all of the, the criteria that's set throughout the year. And, you know, we do look at things like attendance and, you know, behavioral aspects as well. But as long as they, you know, as long as they succeed throughout that year, they will be guaranteed a job with us. So it's sold with the job in mind, but sometimes we struggle to get to get the full cohort, you know, within each year. So, you know, and you, you know, the numbers you're talking about, Elaine, you know, that, that, that there are so many young people that are, that are looking for. So, so where, where is it falling down? I think sometimes, you know, it breaks my heart to see with some organizations that, you know, the level of apprenticeships is X that comes through, but then how many are actually retained beyond that? Um, you know, these are some of the metrics that I think we need to be looking at to see, well, if it's if it's not guaranteeing future employment, is that a success? Is it working? And I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just saying I think these are the questions that we need to be asking. Um, and we ask it of ourselves through our Skills Academy. You know, we analyse it every year and say, well, you know, where did it work? Where did it not work? What can we carry forward? How can we go back and work with the college to fix this and that bit of it? Um, because, you know, where we are at this point, regardless of what's happened up until now, is that there is a skill shortage that exists. So how do we take the good bits, drop the bad bits and design something that is appropriate for what young people and people of, you know, different ages and different diversities are going to be looking for? Um, one of the things that's come up when we've had been having various conversations is around the need for kind of shorter, sharper um, training. Um, that will either allow people to kind of effectively try out because, you know, some of the trades we're talking about, it might not be for everyone, you know, working outdoors and the elements, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. So how do we allow them to try that in a way that, you know, it, you know, is kind of manageable for, for businesses and for the individual? You know, how do we, you know, most people, the thought of, of doing a four year apprenticeship now, 
uh, you know, it can be can be a lot for people to get their head around. Um, you know, and I think again, looking at, you know, well, how can we do, how can we design it in a different way? You know, where do we remove the bureaucracy that's that's not required and design something that's going to be fit for what people and industry are looking for now? I, th- I think it's hopefully in terms of apprenticeships, the technical expert groups can help and be, and be a sort of step in that right direction because it's very much about industry and apprentices right, being absolutely at the heart of it. I think there's, I think there's so many, it, there isn't just one thing. I think apprenticeship designs, you know, definitely be one of the tools there. I think there's multiple tools. That I actually think Jennifer mentioned earlier about procurement as well, and how, uh, is is an interesting one. And I know certainly there's various groups looking at that separately. So I think it is about bringing the different strands together, from pipeline to procurement to the design of apprenticeships. But it is also, yeah, also that adult route going in as well. I think is lots of different areas to be looked at and pulled together. And we're, I mean, we're talking about um, a just transition for some sectors uh, being a challenge. And, and, you know, you look at oil and gas and, and, you know, fossil fuel industry more broadly being a massive part of Scotland's economy historically, but that's going to need to change. Um, construction strikes me because it's so diverse and there's so many opportunities in so many different places. We are probably, and we have such a high demand for new skills, new talent coming into the industry, and it doesn't all have to come through one particular door so it could be from another sector and where there's transferable skills but then as Jennifer says there's an opportunity for us to develop the shorter sharper specific areas of of development that are needed it strikes me that that's a really great opportunity to bring together the the potential you know transition of people out of the fossil fuel um, world into construction where we're actually trying to you know do a lot of things that that, um, reduce the need for um, for energy and, and and lower carbon that that feels to me like a almost a match made in heaven if we can capitalize on the opportunity the right way around it, it does and I, I think it's as of yet there's there's definitely not obvious ways of doing that and i think that's got to be a challenge that that's for me has got to be a focus for the industry to look at good path to start having these discussions on how do we do that what pathways are accepted what can work and it is how you retain the quality and get people into sort of meaningful jobs um where they can transition and work in different opportunities in the industry, but how to do it in a way that's making the most of the skills that they've got already. Because that's certainly somebody that's worked in the oil and gas sector, for example, will bring a lot of transferable skills that we should, as an industry, be able to capitalise on and and build on and and get people into a position where they're able to work quickly. Because, again, realistically, you know, if you're coming from an oil and gas sector, you are going to want to, any adult is going to be wanting to be earning a decent wage relatively quickly, and these things do have to be considered and sort of built in. We're always conscious at the Innovation Centre and through this podcast programme, we've been asking um, everybody, you know, what more can we do? So we're, we're obviously, you know, here with a remit around how do we develop, you know, the kind of innovation culture within the industry and very specifically now, you know, we've mapped out a new kind of mission for, for CSIC, which is around, you know, underpinning what we do so that it focuses on that transition to, to net zero. So the innovation support that we'll provide will be, you know, you know, very much focused in that kind of area. We've been doing some things recently, <clears throat> as as you guys are both aware, around developing those low carbon skills um through the National Transition Training Fund programme to support um low carbon, low energy passive house sort of models of development and really look at that kind of upskilling, um reskilling sort of space. Um what other things do you think we could or should be doing better both in terms of the work we do 
to support collaboration, the work we do across that entire kind of support landscape, but also directly with, with industry. We, we recognise we're not everybody's solution to everything. We have a very specific, we're one piece of a very big jigsaw, but what do you think we could be doing better or could be doing more of or maybe start doing if we're not doing at all? I think a lot of this is about asking the right questions, to be honest. I think, you know, innovation for some people you know, as I said earlier, you know, can be focused almost too heavily sometimes on the, the technologies um, that are required. But I think broadening that out and actually, you know, that nothing's off the table. We're talking about innovation in, in all sense. So whether it's, a you know, an innovative approach to training, whether it's an innovative approach to, to a particular process or challenge or so I think it's about stimulating the conversation, having, you know, the, you know, even the likes of these podcasts, you know, given that providing that opportunity to ask the hard questions and, and to be bold enough to say, well, you know, here's what we learned from this or here's what really didn't work here. So don't, you know, don't do this. I think we had, you know, when we're talking about collaboration, we all have to be brave enough to kind of share openly um, about these things to truly learn and truly um, build on where we are just now. Superb. Uh, and uh, two things that sprung to mind when you were talking there. One, you know, we obviously have the Innovation Factory out at Hamilton Technology Park, and it was very much conceived as a place for people to do innovation as opposed to just the rest of the time we talk about it. Um, and yeah. that idea, following that kind of idea of a picture tells a thousand words, there's a big sign yeah. in the factory that says a, a, a prototype saves a thousand meetings. Um, and it's, yeah. it was always inspired by that idea. And Elaine, you made the point earlier mm -hmm. um, that, you know, yeah, we need to make sure we have a, a, a plan and we need to learn from the things that we're doing um, and, and then, you know, make progress and tweak and, and adapt as we go. Um, but I think it is important that we we do start with some of these things. So almost it's like a it's like a organized, yeah. structured kind of pilot program almost to learn that kind of learn feel repeat sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so let's not be too worried if we get things wrong as long as we're learning Absolutely. while we do it and we don't do it again. Yeah. Ideally, um, that yeah. as part of this kind of program moving forward towards the kind of zero carbon approach that the Climate Emergency Skills Action Plan is, is uh, here to help us deliver. Um, Elaine, from your point of view, you know, we work quite closely together on a whole range yeah. of different things. Um, what would you love if you had a kind of magic wand and you could just tap us all in the head and go, right, do this tomorrow? What else would you prefer that we were doing better or differently or more of? To be fair, I, think, I, you know, I, I already think you do a, a lot of very positive work and I, I think it's continuing to help certainly from our side help us to be able to have the, the really important conversations and influence where we need to influence I, I some of this you know some of the solutions will will come via you know the apprenticeship system some some of them will which again will play a part there but I think some of it is about not what you already do but not oversimplifying the problems I think for me, it's about having that pause to make sure we get the right solutions and really do put the sort of technical first that we really think of the different components and look at what we need to start challenging and breaking down and doing differently. I think I absolutely agree with what Jennifer said. It's about not being afraid to have the difficult conversations. And I think it is about all of us pulling together and recognising that this is not, there's no simple solutions here. There's not headlines that are going to solve it. Anything that sounds too good to be true probably is too good to be true with this. I think it's about breaking it down into its different components, about looking at where we can take action and moving forward. And as much as possible, trying to just work, do what you already do in terms of collaboration and pulling together the different people that are involved in this process and helping to 
to drive innovation and change, but to make innovation just such an everyday part of this, because it is for me, it's innovation that ultimately is going to be what becomes absolutely central in terms of changing how we do things and in terms of actually doing the changes that we need to do that will actually reduce carbon. So I think innovation for me is just absolutely the heart of it. Oh, it is. And I think what the Construction Scotland Innovation Centre has always been so good at is, is enabling, you know, you know whether that be, you know, the, the types of projects you're talking about, Stephen, that need to almost be de-risked for the, yeah. the organisation or for the industry. So so part of that kind of de-risking, but also enabling. So, you know, anything's possible, just let's yeah. talk about it. Um, yeah, exactly. That makes a shift. Yeah. yeah, great. Well, listen, appreciate your time. We're, we're running up against the end of it, but I've got one final question, which is kind of park the professional side of things just now. So we're talking about climate change. We're talking about decarbonisation. Um, I'm keen to know if or what you're doing in your own personal world to tackle climate change. So who's driving an electric car at the moment or ordered one or who's got a deep retrofit going on in their own house? Um, so we're going to start asking all the people we're engaging with who are talking about, this is my job and this is what I do and it's in this space. We're going to turn around and do, okay, yeah, but what are you doing yourself? So Jennifer, what, what's on yeah. your kind of already doing or immediate to-do list around your own personal decarbonisation oh, plans? Yeah. yeah, no, I think it... For us, you can't work in this space and, and be faced with the reality of what we're all dealing with and not be inspired to take action yourself. So, yeah, yeah we, we've developed our own kind of, you know, net zero. It's more a kind of carbon offsets. Again, net zero is one of these terms that there's no real definition, but a kind of carbon offset strategy for the business. So looking at, um, you know, all the areas, whether it be from recycling, embodied carbon, you know, various different aspects through our vehicles, through our buildings, through the, you know, the material that we have on site and what we do with that. So, you know, we've just kicked off a, a massive project to look at all of that, which will then turn into um, some key recommendations for the business and, and actions but in, a, in a way that's kind of quantifiable because, yeah, we've got teams of surveyors and people that need to understand the, the detail. Um, and from a personal perspective, I'm, I love the fact that every time I get in my car with my children at the moment, they're asking me when I'm getting my, when I'm getting an electric car. And I think that for me is so reassuring that at that level, I mean, they're four and six. Um, you know, this is, this is, you know, a really big thing for them and they feel this is important and they're helping to drive that change as well. So we need to harness that. Yeah. Yeah, we need the we need the lobby the lobbyists coming at all ages and all shapes yeah. and sizes from the back seat as well as the front seat. Indeed, absolutely. Indeed. And Elaine, from your own point of view, uh, what, what's on your um, decarbonisation to do list? Uh, well, from from our internal SDS point, we do have a SDS sort of internal climate action plan, and the 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 two ladies that have worked on that action plan, Alison and Annika, have been moved over to our department, and they are absolute experts in all things low carbon and sort of drive forward that from everything from how we're traveling and engage with each other right, right through various policies. I think on a personal level, I think I'm still at the basics. I think I even, I can still be at the stage embarrassingly where I say I need to probably get better at recycling and it, all, 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 all the real, all the real basics. But, but certainly for me, it'll be to work very closely with Alison and Anakin to, to learn a lot from them in terms of their sort of internal policies and to look at how we can use their knowledge and share and sort of share, share that. Fantastic. I mean, that is actually a really great point to end on is that there is expertise out there, whether it's somewhere else in your own organisation or somewhere in a different sector. We spoke about that earlier as well. There's, there's, you know, it's not like we're starting from 
a, a stand and start here. Really, there is there's lots of expertise, there's lots of tried and tested, lots of failures and things that people are happy to share their journey with. So, I think as a as a message to all the listeners, you know, whilst we have a, a you know a big mountain to climb in front of us in terms of decarbonising the built environment construction space, um, we don't need to do it kind of unassisted, and we don't need to all do it on our own. There's plenty of folk out there with knowledge, expertise, and relevant examples that have gone before that we can we can learn from. So, um, so yeah, the more more we do to to join up all of that, uh, hopefully uh, the better. Listen, thank you both. Um, I'd love to ask thanks. you that question as well, Stephen. If we've got time. <laughs> I was going to see if we were going to get that in time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. So, no, a very good question, and I should yeah, I should uh, I should declare. Uh, so, we, yeah, we've been working on a, a bit of a home renovation stroke improvement programme for actually probably for about the last 10 years since we moved into this house. So yeah, slowly going round and, a, and, and a, as, an, as an ex-architect um, or not, not now practising architect, yeah, you've got a little bit of insight into what order you should be doing certain things in. So we've been following that path uh, and yeah, just looking very much at the fabric envelope part of uh, our house um, for a number of years and when necessary doing some various things and we're now getting to that part where um okay it's heating systems and it's renewables as the having got the fabric bit of it hopefully as right as we can yeah it's, that's the next stage so yeah we're kind of slowly hopefully following our own our own um best kind of advice around getting the building fabric right and then looking at what you might um go on to it um and yes my my, uh, my actually my, my wife uh, is going she does quite a lot of traveling for work so she's she's going down the plug-in hybrid route um not entirely convinced there'll be a charging station everywhere if she was fully electric yeah. but given my commute's a little shorter um sorry yeah so electric car is uh, is, is on order so that's uh, that's although it's january so it's a wee bit far away but yeah so we're gonna yeah we've got to do that we've, we've all got to I suppose where we can make make that personal investment i suppose in this so, uh, so looking forward to um joining the electric car revolution and uh, and, and hopefully living in a probably not entirely zero carbon house but a, a low carbon house in the not too distant future so um so yeah try trying our best to walk the walk i guess um We'll see where we get to, but um, but yeah, sh- share the journey as we go. Um, listen, thank you again, both of you. A huge uh, uh, appreciation for your time uh, and for your insight into the the various different things that we're exploring now around the um, the climate emergency skills action plan and related uh, opportunities and challenges of which um, there are there are no shortage of both. Uh, and I think it's about making sure we embrace them as best we best we can moving forward. That's it for today, folks. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Um, more to come in the not too distant future. Um, a lot of other interesting topics um, coming up. Um, so, uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, don't forget to subscribe uh, to this channel. Um, we've got a lot more coming uh, over the coming months. Uh, other people with interesting insights in a whole variety of different areas. Um, and uh, if you want to get involved in other stuff that's going on if you jump onto the Innovation Centre website we can connect you into all the stuff that some of the um, really innovative businesses like Jennifer's are are involved in um, and work that SDS and other organisations are doing to support right across this whole landscape Um, love to get you involved um, practically in the activity we spoke a lot today about action and doing Um, so love to get you involved in some of the stuff that's actually going on but indeed around the conversation and across social media all the links are um, are in the bios So take care, everybody. Um, Thank you very much again, Elaine, Jennifer, for your time today and uh, catch up next time. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you. Bye.